Well, 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 well. Well, I'm going to say, well, all is well. Christmas time is near. Holiday season. And I know the FIFA Cup is going on. And I know I'm actually bothering all of you. Some of you watching the FIFA. Some of you watching True House Stories. Blah, blah, blah. Back and forth. But let's talk about something really important. The first show I started, August of 2020, was with Marshall Jefferson, the godfather of house music, right? August 2020. We're now 99th show in, right? Okay. With a great guest who's waiting to come up. And I got him last minute to go rush to get me photos. He went crazy looking for photos from me. I got him to get him. I said, dude, we know what you look like now, but we want to know what you look like in the 90s. You know, what I remember, I first met you when you were a kid. He's like, oh, I found it. I found it. He's going to old laptops. He's famous. We all love him. He's a great guy. But before I even get into that, um, I have to do a shameless plug before I bring him up, because I want to make sure everybody knows. I was waiting for a while to announce this, but we are going to have one of the greatest of our time come for the 100th birthday show, Kathy Sledge. Kathy Sledge will be on the 100th show. The legendary lead vocalist of Sister Sledge. You know her, the songs, We Are Family. You know all her records, Thinking of You, all those big hits. She's coming on right here on December 28th at 2 p.m., right between Christmas and New Year's. So I'm going to catch you all at home, having eggnog and all that wonderful stuff. So stay tuned because we're going to make sure to remind you over and over, we're going to become annoying. Anyway, here we go. Welcome to True House Stories. I am Lenny Fontana coming out of New York City with a jingle jingle in my step and a deck the halls to all of you around the world because Merry Christmas. We're not going to do a Christmas show, but we're around that time. We're, gonna, we're here in December, and I'm so proud to tell you the guest I have today. Number one, Swiss DJ. Number one. Okay. Had a show or has a show on Sirius XM, worked for one of the biggest EDM labels in the game, spinning records, spinning deep with his, with his records. He's toured the world endlessly around the globe. Goes by three big letters, but his real name is Maurizio Colella. He's Italiano Swiss. For those in Italiano know what I'm talking about. He knows good food. He knows how to do it right. But the three letters he goes by is E, D, X. And those that know, there is no excuse to get him here. We saw each other in Holland after like the war ended. We hugged. Lanny, how are you? EDX. Oh, but I know Miss Nah, Maurizio. Everybody's loving each other. We're all happy. And we said, you must come on True House Stories. To the point, because he's European, 
he forgot the FIFA Cup is going on. So he's upset that he's like, I got to do this show, but I, I know I have to do this show. But damn it. We should have planned it at a different time. Unfortunately, this show is important and his story is important. So without further ado, Managia Guillermo, I bring to you Maurizio Colello, known as E-D-X. <laughs> Lenny, that was a great introduction. <laughs> and I, I want to be sincere. It was not like that um, I have to do the show. I actually wanted to do the show because I remember back in the days when, like, um, Skype was brand new. We ended up speaking sometimes quite a lot on, on Skype. And that's like almost, I think, 20 years back. And now there's all these technologies, uh, like you have uh, FaceTime, you have uh, WhatsApp, you have like Zoom and all that stuff. And we just don't end up catching up anymore because we're just busy. Time has changed. And um, there is like this 24 um, uh, 7 like. Lifestyle. I know. Uh, of, of data, lifestyle, and the internet. And, you know, Italy is not playing anymore. No. The World Cups at the moment. <laughs> Switzerland has been kicked off. And, um, I know. The left hand, the other one too. Oh. I'm, 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 not, I'm not such a America? big fan. In America? I'm not, I'm not such a big, big fan of Le Bleu. But uh, I felt like to, it's a very special game today. Like Morocco is playing France, and it's like a kind of a derby. It's like Inter playing Milan. It's like a derby for me, and it's quite interesting to see uh, how this match is going to end up. But, well, France already scored the first goal uh, right after the start. <laughs> Thank you for having me, by the way. Thank you again. You know, you know he, he's a record label owner, and... You know, he understands the game and artist and producer, writer, and even Graham. I, I, I mean, I could have went on and on with the monologue, with the Grammy nominated, the whole thing. But we're going to get into that story. I'd like to welcome you all to, you know, EDX's home. He's a sweetheart of a guy. Um, the wonderful thing about my job is I've been blessed to know such wonderful people in our business. And he's one of these people, you know. Um, humble and just understands the work ethic. He doesn't stop. You know what I'm saying? EDX is just that kind of guy that just stop is basta is not his word. Pasta may be in his word, but basta <laughs> is, which means stop. Anyway, EDX, thanks again, brother. You know, uh, Bon Natale, of course. Uh, I ask everyone the same question. You're going to get the same hard question, and only you can paint this picture. No one can do it better than you. You know, how does music find you as a young, you know, Maurizio, the young kid? Where does it begin for you? Take us on that journey. Uh, that's an interesting question. Um, music in general, like I, I, I've been growing up like as an Italian, like uh, Italian family with a lot of friends always coming over and music was like all over the place, actually. And uh, luckily enough, when I was still a kid at school, there was like still like a lot of um, support for like music stuff. Like there was like music classes. There was like, you had the chance to take like uh, violin classes, piano classes, and they were like supporting music, like really a lot. They're not doing this anymore. Like all these budgets 
get uh, cut, which I think is a big mistake. And there should be like people like kind of pushing into that sector a little bit, which I'm trying to do here in Switzerland. And so like music was all over the place, like family wise, we had like music always at school, but my teacher made us like sing every day, like, like 30 minutes, like 15 minutes in the morning after the big break and 15 minutes after the lunch break <laughs> again. So we had a piano and that, that was actually where I kind of met music uh, the first time, like on a like ongoing consistent uh, way. Uh, while back in the days, I was able to sing every single <laughs> Beatles song. I'm not sure if I can still today, but back in the days, I was able to. Anyways, like later on, I, I actually grew up. I'm Italian, born and raised in Switzerland, from uh, Italian parents, and after all the brothers. And one of of them, he was like always like very into music. You know, we in Italy in Italy we have a like a very unique Italian uh, like kind of folk music, which uh, with a lot of stars like Eros Ramazzotti and all these talents that are also known in the Latin uh, world. And I think also in the US. So music has been always a part, but like when. Um, I think electronic music, or let's say like music that happens in in in, the, in clubs, uh, hit me first was when like one of my brothers kind of um, started to be like trying to be a, a break dancer. Uh, I, I I'm not sure he was like really good, but he he won a contest. It was second. Didn't won it, but he became second. So there, I kind of got a little bit into that. It was hip-hop music back then, indeed. So there was all that, like, um, spinning from the US. Like, I think the first, like, movie that, like, really influenced me with that hip-hop was, like, Wild Style back in the days. Rocking, and then, like, a little bit more the commercial ones, like, Colors. And that culture just came over, like, in Storm, like, in the late 80s. I was still like a very young kid, so I wasn't like really able to go out, but I started already like to kind of work on like DJing, trying to scratch and do that, that stuff that um, comes from that culture. So I started to kind of get interest into like uh, urban hip hop music, like more or rap, let's call it rap back in the days, like with Grandmaster Flash and Eric and uh, Eric B and Rakim and all like the, NWA and all the classics, public enemy. <laughs> so uh, I, I used to go always once a year with the family to Italy. And Italy uh, in the late 80s, early 90s, had like a huge like Italo disco movement that was kind of blending in with hip hop music. And there was like one kid, um, he was like trying to do like the hip hop music from the US, like in a uh, Italian way. Uh, it was actually, was it's awful if you listen to it now, but it was revolutionary um, back in the days for Italy. His name was Giovanotti and he released the album. It was called For President. So um, it's still happening today. Like on the beach in Italy, you have always this black market people like trying to sell you tapes, CDs, piracy, fake uh, champion t-shirts, fake shoes, you know, stuff like this. So I remember buying the tape and then, one summer listening the whole uh, album over and over 
I knew every song. Uh, I knew uh, everything about this guy. He was like uh, wearing. He was like wearing really weird fashion. He was just trying to be an American boy in Italy, and he, he actually really did it the right way because he he also invited like Africa Pambata, and he was having like really he was meeting the hippo people that that were there at that time. And this was like when I kind of had like this kind of blend because it was a little bit in between hip hop and started ready to go into kind of more a dance appealed sound. And the first moment I really felt that there was like a fashion, a movement, a culture happening was when Acid House was all of a sudden uh, all over the place. Everyone uh, was walking around with like this uh, smiley jackets, headbands, like this was the time of Karate Kid uh, and that uh, and that generation, you know. And uh, that's what I was really, trying to figure out what year. I'm glad you said the Karate Kid. So it's mid '80s. Got it. Okay. Yeah, it's like towards the late '80s. Yeah. So there was like uh, a lot of tracks that, like, I was like, "Wow, that's so cool!" And you know, I was like DJing a little bit hip hop, like at these school events. Uh, I was DJing a little bit outside school. You know, I I did like quite a few shows with hip hops, always with my slow part. My, my slow part record was always uh, LL Cool J, I Need Love. It always worked well. And, and later on, all of a sudden, when I, when, as, as I said, when I met like Giovanotti, I started to see, okay, there's like other sound also happening. And I was already on an age where my, my brothers when, during the summer holidays in Italy um, had the chance to, to have to take me with them to go out. So I was going to these nightclubs uh, for 18, uh, 18 years up, but I was 14, but I was with my brother. So I was always like just hanging in the, uh, in a corner and I was watching the DJs. You know, this was a time when like records um, like uh, Losing My Religion from R.E.M. were like super popular, like this kind of sound. But there was also like this new, vibe that came after the acid house vibe that was like this kind of back then it was just called techno you know it was just a techno movement and there was one particular record that was just like the tune of the year it was called we need love and uh we need no we need freedom we need freedom from i don't remember the band as uh which is we need freedom it was like a huge record and this was just like revolutionary. When the track came on, I was like, okay, there is something else also going on than just uh, hip hop music from the US. That's like something uh, very special, you know. And Italy was very forward um, uh, back then because they had already like the Italo dance uh, movement a couple of years before with like uh, Tony Carrasco and uh, um, Marco, Bongaldo, uh, Marco Bongaldi, MBO and Klein. Dirty, uh, dirty talk. So there was like a, already things happening. They were like very because I think it was one of the first nations in the world. It was like um, in the Adria. That's like a part of the coast of Italy, Rimini, Licione. I'm sure that back in the '90s, you also ended up playing shows in that region. I'm pretty sure. Oh my God. Yes, Rimini, Licione, the Prince. Prince, yes, Prince, Baia Imperiale, Pasha. Played all those clubs in the 90s, yes. 
So, and I was a kid and I was going to these things with my friends and I started to go to Italy when I was 16 myself and my friends. There's like two weeks with my friends' parents, two weeks with my parents, other friends. So we were like able to like explore, you know, you, no one was scared that they're going to kidnap you. No one was scared that something's going to happen to you. We've done these crazy things. And uh, I've been always like going back home, like at 6, 7 a.m. when I was 16, when my mom already started to wake up and go to have breakfast, you know, <laughs> or like went to, to make sure she gets her bed at the beach. So this was like a very like um, important part of, of, electronic music and me because I started to see the nightlife that uh, clubbing that was very connected to uh, to which is very connected to dance to electronic music and it started to like develop like interest you know like more and more and more and more so all of a sudden like in the early 90s this was like I would say I was still like DJing, but I was still kind of trying to figure out how does this really work, the match, the BPM match, you know? It was the technology was back in the days different than today. Today you just put in a CD, it's already there is already like information on the on the data and someone just needs to play start and everything is synced, you know. So I was like 24-7 in my room in my house. I had like a, a small room where I had like a, a Casio keyboard. I switched my Bon Tempi, which was like just a, a piano to learn play piano a little bit, to a Casio keyboard that had MIDI access, and I connected it to back then. I think it was an Amiga 500 or that app called Sequencer. So I was trying to do music, but I still wanted like also to understand how does this DJ thing work, you know? So I kind of I remember like one track which was Stonebridge's remix of um, Show Me Love was one of the tracks that I at least beat match two, three hundred times in my life within just a few hours, a few days, you know, because I used that track with another record. This was uh, Lonnie Gordon, um, Gonna Give You, uh, gonna, gonna Catch You, uh, which was a big record that summer too. With uh, and Then there was also the other record, um, the Chipsy, Chipsy uh, Crystal, Crystal Clear record. There was also super huge. So I was trying to mix all these three records together. You know, this was like my, my target. First, learn to mix these two records together and then go and try to mix the next record. But, you know, hippo was more easy. It was just check, 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 scratch, right, left, in. Period, you know? Right. So, this is where you had a beat match and get things to lock up. With a, with yeah, so it was a little bit more complicated. So I was kind of working on that. This was like around 91, 92. Let's take a look at him. Look, look over how he looked around those days. <laughs> it's 93, yeah? Yeah. I was just going to speak about that. So I started to work in, a, in, in during the free days. I started to work in a record store. It was called DJ Beat, like in 92. And there was like a, a complete revolution uh, happening in, in Europe with this warehouse events where like you had all these DJs from outside, like from all the counts, from the UK, from the US, you know, all of a sudden there was like, uh, like arena events with this music, you know, happening. And in Germany, Berlin, there was this love parade already going on uh, in the late eighties, like after the, the wall came down, they started this peace, love, uh, and uh, love, peace, and, um, whatever parade and i always saw this in the tv and like media started to speak about like techno music more and more and 
at one point, the parade came to Switzerland, so they, they launched the street parade in 1992. And my great friend back then was uh, Louis, and he was one, hey, let's go, the parade is today. It was a rainy day, actually, before the parade. So I was like, yeah, I'm not sure. Look, it's raining. I'm going home. You know, No, let's go. You have to go. You know, he was like two years older than me, so he already used to go more uh, clubbing in Italy than I used to go. So he was more into that. So I went to that parade in 92. Um, I had an event myself the same night in like a youth house just for kids stuff thing where like, I think in 92, this was the year of uh, of pullover uh, from Speedy J, you know? Remember the Speedy J pullover yes. records took over all of a sudden? So this was in 92. And then they had this parade in the day. So I went to the parade and I saw like a couple of hundred people like, crazy people like for me crazy because i was always there for music you know i was not there for like dancing because if i was a great dancer i was not a dj you know then i was being i would have been on the other side i would have been on the dance floor dancing you know so i was always kind of more a shy guy um from 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 the early days and this keeps going uh, on today so i went to this parade and i was like what the hell is going on you know and the guy that had like the first record stores here for like dance music that made it like kind of more the bigger stores uh, that I was working on the free day had a, his own like loaf mobile. They call them loaf mobile, these uh, kind of um, cars uh, or like um, caravans with like these floats going on the streets with music and speakers. So I was on, on that, on, 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 on his float and I was like, wow, that's so cool. That's so cool. You know, okay. That I had my event at the night. And then after the event, of course, the Yoff house closes already at midnight. There was this like uh, festival. It was called energy rave. And it was um, in an old factory building, just like a few blocks from where I, I grew up or where I was living. They you, in the nineties when like the whole like the big factories started to close down, uh, they started to use all these uh, buildings to to do like raves, and all of a sudden you started to meet people like at these raves. There was like DJs from all over the world. There was like I remember in ninety two already like Carl Cox, uh, Robert Hood. Uh, Derek May, like all these artists, like when, you know, I'm talking more about the techno side, huh? not the housey side. So there was all these artists and they were so big, you know, and everyone was like, even they didn't know their music because they were from a different country and they were so big. They were like, what the hell is going on? And these were all flute. There were so many people going to these raves and it became something really interesting because there was every weekend one, two of these raves going on all over Switzerland, from the French part, the Italian part, the German part. There was like each city, like big city had a, had like kind of a rave where people were meeting. So I ended up meeting people from all over Switzerland every weekend at a different rave. And there was like this community thing, you know, you kept meeting people that you didn't know, but one guy from city like let's say if you're from new york so all of a sudden you started to meet people from boston people from atlanta uh, from uh, philadelphia people from jersey from brooklyn and they were all going to this rave and they were all like into this like who who the hell is van vet who is this guy you know who wh what who is dj hype who is uh who are all these people you know why why why, why is this so crazy you know it was like it was just a crazy 
Well, also because it was a brand new time. This was all new. All of it's new. Yes. Don't forget, he's actually, remember he said he's pushing and working his craft, playing vinyl, not playing. There was no pioneer generation yet. It was a techniques generation, everybody. It was It was so, so different. You know, I was just thinking, Different night and day from what it is now. No, it's, but you need just to think about it, um, how unfair it was back in the days on the DJ side and also on the... Um, on the producer side, if you really think about the transition between the analog world mm-hmm. and the digital world, it's crazy. You know, I remember I was only able to buy two, three records every week because a record was 15 bucks, 15, one five, so 45 bucks, you know, and you still needed to learn, to practice. You needed to have like, um, uh, Turntable, a technics turntable. That's another thing. You need to have good. I turntable. remember my father when I told my father I need this turntable. He went there, and before he went into the house of this person that was selling them to me, he was, "Do you really need this? Because hey, this was like two thousand bucks in the nineties. Wait, why do you need two of them? Yeah, why do you need? Do you really need this? You know, and I, you know, I managed to get them. You know, but this was so much money for for my parents that. Already then, each had two, three jobs every day to 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 make us a better, to give us a better life. You were three three boys, huh? So they had three jobs, you know. <laughs> Do you really need this? <laughs> yeah, please. So I started you now with the cheaper ones, then the, the, the better mixer, then then the technique. So slowly, uh, everything happened. Like Do you really need it. So it was really hard. You, not everyone could be a DJ or like follow this kind of passion for 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 music. And and I think the real passion for music started when this warehouse event started because that street parade, that uh, love, peace, and happiness. Was that, that you in the street? This the street parade or no? One with the with the violet, like the purple jeans. That's me. Uh, oh, I know it's you. Know I'm saying, is this on the street parade? This picture. That's a street parade in '93. Me with uh, what is this? Like a nervous T-shirt? Yeah, that's a wreck shirt. I, I recognize that's nervous. The hip hop label. <laughs> It's a near that was <laughs> yeah. so, so so cool. You know, think about that, people. How he it's twenty know, years ago. Eh? Struggled to get those turntables. Begged them, Padrino, please, for please, please, please. I want it, and they're telling him, "No, are you out of your mind? Two thousand, <laughs> two thousand euros for that? No, now it's more." More back more then, back then, now. it was yeah, like two thousand. A lot of money back then. That's a like, lot of money. Twenty years ago was a lot of money, and we 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 are talking here about like the late eighties, like early ni- like ninety in the nineteen ninety something, like twenty three years ago. And uh, but I think like the parade, the warehouse, the love, peace, and happiness movement was the thing when I felt kind of that genre like mu- club music took my heart in storm, you know, like, duck, it happened, you know. And, uh, well, and since then, I've been always uh, true to it. I always try to just follow the path. And uh, uh, it didn't just take my heart in storm. It also just became part of me, part of my journey, part of my history. And uh, I'm still ha- really happy that I had this encon- encounter this in this way, like as a kid in Italy, in nightclubs with friends. You know, it's 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 completely different way that 
uh, that in 2020. Too, yeah, well, you know? We, know, we know that even in the 90s, it was different back from the 80s because it was it was actually a, a scene, electronic dance music scene was really oh. happening. But nobody dreamed it would become where it went to and where you experience it later. So in the beginning, when you started to go out to these to the love parade and the whole the whole I'm sorry, not love parade, street parade. Street parade. <laughs> love parade was in Germany. Yeah. Street parade. Um, was it that moment you said, "This is what I want to do. I want to be a producer. I'm not a producer. I want I want to be a DJ." And um. Is that really yeah. a defining factor? It's very interesting because I had like both sides. Like I already had like my my production setup, but I really like to be in nightclubs, you know, because I was young. I wanted to explore what's going on, you know, the, in nightclubs. It's who are all these people, you know. And but I, I feel I always followed the music, you know. You know, like I the, the main thing was always hey. I'm following the music. I'm going to the club because I really love the music. I'm very fascinated. You know, I I remember going to events and seeing uh, certain DJs for the first time. And especially then when um, later on, I started to really uh, work in studios with friends on, on, on music and started to, to, to just be able also to invest in, in studio gears, which um, you definitely needed to spend, I think at least good sampler, computer, keyboard, speaker, mixer, at least twenty thousand back in the days just to start, and you I still know. had like as as you still had like a studio that had like always this uh, horrible ground noise that you couldn't get you couldn't get rid of, you know. Uh, which now in the digital generation, since 10, like if you go 10 years back now, which I really, I'm okay with it, which I really like, like someone in Russia can just like produce music on a, on a like old PC uh, with a software that it just downloads uh, illegal and the sample pack that it downloads illegal, but they have a great like musical education in Russia from, uh, from scratch, from, from the schooling that they can make great music. And that's that what happened, like, uh, I think 15 years back, if you turn the time 15 years back, like all these new talents coming from all these countries where never before techno music uh, was released from, you know? This was thanks to the digital uh, revolution, you know? Never never possible um, in um, in the 90s. No, was. No, to make, was. To, make mu to produce music by yourself, by being like 16, 17, 18 years old, uh, this was no, no, no chance. Like there was no chance, except you had like a lot of money or like, I don't know, like you were in a, in a gang and you had like hood money and, and uh, or you just like went around the streets to just uh, rock people and, and get the studio together, you know? But see, everybody thinks from the outside that everyone in Switzerland is very rich, very wealthy, you know, like the water is blue, the air is clean, the mountains, very rich. My wife, she always uh, makes fun of it. And I keep telling her uh, that I grew up actually in the ghetto of, of Zurich, my hometown, uh, in a, 
in a small quarter they have developed after the second world war for like minorities like with like cheap housing with like uh, even like you know like the sector uh, sector 7 or like uh, how is it called in new york sector 7 or or pr projects you know like this housing for exactly. people that cannot for those in england as the council housing for those in america the projects and in front of European, it's the sector area, right? The sector. Okay, yeah. yeah, so but I, the sector area looked beautiful. I saw the sector area. <laughs> it like I completely agree with you. So my, 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 my wife, she's always laughing at me when I, because she grew up in Miami, not in the best neighborhood. So she's always making fun of me when I say, I really grew up in the ghetto, which I did, but it was never so hard. But it was from the cultural point of view, it was really great because. I grew up with great people, you know, like with fun people, fun, fun families, fun culture. You know, it was like I would never be here if if I grew up like in a nice uh, blue sky <laughs> Swiss region, which I wouldn't mind actually too. But I'm really happy that um, I, the way know, I grew up. funny you say that because every time I go to Switzerland and I see the Matterhorn or something, the, the big mountain, I always scream this out. To everybody and everybody cracks up laughing. I go, Ricola. <laughs> Ricola. I know, but I always do that because you know Switzerland's Ricola. beautiful. But wait, no, I am fortunate. I'm lucky. It's very boring because I used to ask this question when the club night was over. What do people do? And everybody would always say to me, "There's a reason why Switzerland's the way Switzerland is," and they would say to me, "We have the highest." depression and the highest suicide rate because it's too beautiful and nothing to do <laughs> I I think like, the suicide rate is just in november just in the month of just in the month of november and i think it's just because right now it's a very depressing time you know it's like no sun it, it, it was snowing all week it's already like I, I went to the, to 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 the office very quickly, like uh, after lunch, and I saw like already outside it was getting dark, like at three thirty. I was like, hey, I need to go home. <laughs> you know, it's just like that transition time from like summer, fall into the winter is. You know, if you if you're not from here, or you're not kind of just hey, it is what it is. I'm used to it. I I, I went through it already at least forty times in my life. <laughs> so. Um, uh, well, it was less because I used to travel a lot <laughs> during that time, especially for that reason, when I got a little bit more uh, more able to travel. A anyways, no, I think, you know, it's it's a great place to be, you know. it's. Uh, we, I think we had like a very, very strong after-hour culture too from the early 90s uh, because it was more regulated, the whole nightlife thing and clubbing and like, like the liquor license stuff, you know. So we had a strong after-hour uh, moment in the 90s. This was at the Ray for somewhere in 94. Look. Ah, you know where this was? I can tell you exactly where this was. This was at Carl Cox. See? This was at Carl Cox. But you were making your way around now. The 90s are here and you're making your way. You're finding your way through. This was at Carl Cox. I, I remember the date. A friend of mine did that, ev that event, Carl Cox at Alte Caserne. Yeah. See? Yeah, cool. Very cool. 
So anyways, you know, and so all of a sudden, like this stuff just got me, I went through, like the music got me in storm. Like I was like, fuck, that's what I want to do. And then I just started to explore every different angle. You know, I I was like, okay, let's just uh, throw raves. Or like I started with a after, after tea event. Not the ra- you know what the after tea event is? Like the ones that start at 1 p.m. They go after the oh, after. Yeah, the tea dance. It's actually a tea dance in the afternoon. Tea dance. So I started to do a tea dance in 94 for a couple of months. I had like great talents coming uh, by and play there just for the fu- for fun, you know, for like, because it was just a new thing that everyone just like was like, so cool. Who is this? Like I had like many DJs that like were legends back then that just they didn't know where to go after the after hours so they were okay okay I play I come at your place I play no no worry give me a couple of hundred it's fine and so I did like after hours then later on I did raves and it was just you know it was like in the I would say like when you go like if you compare it to the US let's let's use now the three nice letters EDM movement moment in the US like in the I would say in 2008, past 2008, you know, it was just new. It was fresh. It was like, it does. It didn't matter who, who the DJ was. No one cared about the DJ. Everyone cared about the music, about getting together, about having a great time. And I really like this, um, this like revolution in the US, like now almost 15 years back when when it became just the bigger thing, you know, in the U.S. too. You know, you have Ultra, you have a lot of events, you have like Detroit culture, you have the New York culture, you have the, the Chicago culture, you have the San Francisco culture in the U.S., like a lot of cultures that were always like very uh, electronic music, disco, disco-driven. disco uh, You have also a big DJ culture already from back in the days, you know, but you, you know, the, until it really hit every single radio station, with like a Calvin Harris track or who else it was back in the days in the US, it took like a lot of time, I would say 20 years, almost from, no, more than 20 years from when it happened in Europe, you know? So when this happened in in the US, um, it was a similar thing like it was in 94, 92 in Europe. Like no one really cared about the name. You know, there was all these names coming. There was like, from Affex Twin uh, back in the days, or like there was like like Kraftwerk. They were already doing like sold out concerts. It was actually one of my first concerts I ever went in my life was Kraftwerk, and when they came to Zurich, like in early nineties. But all these raves that started at these after hours, they were not driven by names. Like, in fact, you could just put on that uh, on that flyer a name like Maurizio Fontana from London. And just because you and me together were from London, people would come out because they would say, ah, that's a DJ from London. We need to go. You know, there was like so many different factors. It was no, the, no generation, social media, no generation. Um, All right. None of that started yet. Not yet. Not, not yet. yet. Not yet. Like, you know, and it, 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 that, a good example for that was like uh, many years later, like after I was a promoter, after I was also doing like design because I was close to nightlife. So I, I was like very good with computers. So I uh, ended up like being like the flyer designer of most of the big events over here mm. for like 
almost a decade, just like to have a step into the music and sure. still have a, a normal job, you know, because this was very important to my parents, you know. <laughs> after, mm-hmm. after I got almost kicked out uh, from my from my bank job, I was like bank uh, education. Uh, I had just to do something, and this was like. I had to do like the, something serious. So I was okay, I'm, I'm gonna become a designer. Wait, hold on, wait a minute. <laughs> Bank job is serious. But it was just like a couple of months, but I was got almost right. kicked out. I was well, like he said, he's gotta go do something serious. And what's the serious job you're gonna go do? <laughs> I was doing the bank and then I I ended up the bank and I had to do something serious. So I was a designer, I was doing flyers, stuff like this, you know. I had an office. I was like 18 years old, my own office. I had clients coming over. I was doing a lot of uh, artwork, graphic stuff. And I ended up doing more and more for the music industry because that uh, where my passion was. And that like opened up a lot of doors for me because all of a sudden I was making all the POS artwork for Eric Clapton, Madonna, um, every, every artist i was working for warner music i was working for emf virgin i was working for universal so i had in every single record company in switzerland i had a foot into the door for my drink of water for a second i want to advertise one more time come on <laughs> the serious job yeah we're gonna don't forget everybody next next the 20th december kathy sledge for the 100th birthday show EDX is the 99. These are two special shows. Today's show and the 100 with Kathy Sledge. Don't miss out on that. Make sure you tune in. Okay, EDX. Sorry, brother. I don't I hate it's to do a shame. It's a 100 celebration. I kept you for 99. It was important. The changeover. I wanted to bring someone like yourself from the world of house and EDM to, to this because I've never really had a chance to speak to the EDM guys who who come from the house scene and I'm glad you agreed. So you were doing all the artwork and in those days, the graphic design, were you actually working on a computer or were you doing it by hand on the graphic design work? It, 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 it was a blend off, but it was already like that uh, moment. That's when, even uh, now too. Even doing that now is so different than where it used to be done back in the day. Yeah. But I ended up like doing a lot of um, computer stuff. I was really good on, on like, Three-dimensional artwork that was like super new in the 90s. Each time I, I, I render a picture, it took me like at least a day. So I click enter, render, and my day was off. You know, I was okay, I see you tomorrow morning, office, you know. So it it, it was a cool, like it, it was really it was a good time. Anyway, so I had to step into into everyone's door at, at the music labels. So while I switched completely to house music around 2000 and uh, like 1994, as a DJ, like it was more like the UK garage. Mm -hmm. You know, of course, also like back back then, I was a big fan of like Strictly Rhythm, Nervous Records, uh, High Bias out of Canada. There was all these labels like... um, or like also like the sound of underground from Ch- sound of Chicago, all the house labels they were like really strong, and um, I was like let, let me focus more like on this 122, 124 BPM, more like groovy s- sound with more like swing, like not not too banging, not too 
noisy, you know. It was it, it was great to go to this like events with 10, 15, 20,000 people all with their big eyes walking through that warehouses and exploring the world, you know. <laughs> and but I I felt like, you know, going back in history like and speaking about like hip hop music, Italo disco, I just like more the funky sound, you know. And uh, the US was like really uh, killing it. Yes, back it's true. It was, we were all coming out with these records nonstop. nonstop. It was just ki- killing it. And I, I really liked that that time, you know. So after exploring being a promoter, um, wh- while I, I, I was um, DJing a lot, all over, or already started to DJ um, like Europe and the world, like in, in 98, I would say, I started to travel and DJ more international, like 97. Start, my international traveling journey started like, okay, I go to Germany, I go to Austria, I go to France, I go to Italy. Then, okay, to London, I go there, I go here. Then, okay, so I, I go to... Out with guys like Timo Maas, look, already. <laughs> Timo is legendary, yeah? Timo Maas, look how young he was there too, God. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I'm not sure, but I think this picture is from like... Yeah, it, it's it's old. Ninety nine, like so around ninety eight. Yeah, it looks like around that time. I remember him when he looked like that. Like you know, this was the time he was like in this band, Orinoco, or like uh, with his uh, with his uh, studio mate uh, Andy and Martin Butrich. They they had this other project, Sounds of Life, which they were doing Dubby House. Remember? Yes, I Sounds do. of Life sound there. Yeah. This was like so. I, I remember like uh, playing back to back with Timo, like in the in the ni- nineteen ninety nine, and that's where like our friendship started, you know. But he really switched really quick to like, let's call it more proper music. Mm-hmm. Back then, like he got like a manager. He he ended up like uh, having like these two three really big club records, Shiber One, Shiber Two, and then he got signed to. To Alexander in in the UK, to a big agency, all of a sudden he remixed Madonna, he remixed that, you know, and all of a sudden he went the right path with the music. He understood it right away. You, you need to work the on business that. right. He had all the right people around him to make the business. Yeah, work. yeah. This was very interesting. I, I really impressed, and he's still around, and I see him now. Oh, yeah, you see him like now after a small kind of slowdown. I think it's always like a lot of life circumstances. He's like touring a lot. I'm like, fuck, I could not do this. Like he's doing it right now with the family. You know, my kids are young. His kids are like, I think they're already older. You know, so he's now back like on like uh, let's let, let's get it flight status. I want to become the biggest tier at American Airlines. I want to become the biggest tier at Lufthansa. Let's go, let's go. You know, it's that world. So anyway, so I, I was always housey. So I tried to. To work more on the housey side, mm-hmm. always with a little bit more like like an Italian touch to it, like still like that kind of disco kind of sound. Yeah, and I ended up working with um, my DJ partner back then, like in the it's like ninety eight, ninety nine, two thousand, two thousand two. We DJ uh, together like for like two, three years, five years almost back to back. We ended up like having our own studio. This him? Yeah, that's Leo, Leon Klein. There you go. We got the picture. Leo Klein. Yes. So we, we, we had a great like friendship, you know. 
Um, uh, we were like DJing. Look like, how young everybody was, people. Take a good look at the picture. These are babies. We, we, I'm us. We <laughs> yeah, that's true. We were having all these first experiences together, you know, like traveling to, to, to Lausanne, to Mad Lausanne, traveling to Metropolis, traveling to Guayas, traveling to all these events and clubs all over Switzerland, always together. You know, that's such a great thing if you can make it with not just by yourself, you can do it with someone together. So we started to make music with uh, by ourselves and also with like studio teams that were like really focusing because back then, you know, there was like this Yamaha O2R mixer. This was the first digital mixer and no one had this. So we had like our friend Joe Giuseppe. He was already a little bit older. He was like, I'm going to put everything into being a music producer now. So he set up his studio and we were just hanging out with him, like working on music like one, two records every every week. This was like in 97, 98. And that's where I started just to release music. And it was like very, like, it was always house music, you know. But it was not easy, you know, being like an Italian immigrant family son growing up in Switzerland with like Swiss German and German, not really speaking English from second grade. We like, t- 12th grade is when we start to speak the first time English classes in Switzerland. Wow. Now, now they start at fifth grade, but we wow. started at 12th grade. So I had one year of English education back when I was a kid. So listening to a song in the radio was completely different to how you listen to a song in the radio. And it took me almost 10 years to understand this. So we were like recording music, like with Swiss singers, really nice songs. English was perfect in my point of view. Everything was perfect. Now we started to send CDs out to all these labels, to the Ministry of Sound. Back then, the fact that it was already there, like to strictly read them and all that stuff kept coming back. They send you the CD back. Thank you for submitting. It's nothing for us. Keep sending. So back in the days, they kept sending you the CD back, you know, or the tape back. And I didn't understand what the fuck is going on. Why no one wants to make my music? It's 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 so 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 great, you know. It's really great music, and I just didn't get it. So I was like, okay, you know what? Let's do our own our own label, so we can release whatever we want whenever we want, and no one is bothering us. So I teamed up back then with a, a label group, was undercover music group in um, in Germany, which was part of Intergroove. They were kind of co-owned each other's. So they were like explore exploring the world. They had like intergroove in the UK, that intergroove in in the US, in New York, Germany, Italy. So they kind of became like this cool independent distributor that was distributing a lot of music all over the world. So we started to do a joint venture with them. And I started my first label like around 1998 together with uh, my DJ made Le- Leon in 98, which was called Club Control. Uh, we ended up releasing like 20 records, but it was a very good schooling for me to understand the music industry a little bit better as a as like a younger guy. You know, I was in 98, I was like almost 20. You know, I was 20 in ni- no, and I was older than 20. It was like a little bit older than 1998. So we launched our first label and we were like really doing good collaborations. I started to license music back and forth to some Italian labels, a little bit to Germany, a little bit here. So 
but the records it didn't really perform well in the markets I wanted. You know, you know the moment when like Tony Humph Tony Humphries. What what market were you trying to target? Because you mentioned Strictly, Nervous. We were targeting the U.S. and the U.K. Of course. Okay, so you chart the house, the, the, what we call the the garage so, American house garage movement sound. Okay, yeah. that was the sound with a little bit more a disco twist, and and I went, was trying to figure out what are we doing, you know, here. So it it's again like a situation between the analog world and now the digital world. Back then, the only chance except you spend a lot of money to have each country promote your record to radio or to club, the only chance to get hurt was to send as much records out to record stores all over the world. And back in the days, to release one record was spending at least $4,000 because you had to do the master, then you had to make the top plates, then you had to produce the record, you had to print the covers, and then you have maybe 1,000 records and you spent three, 4,000. And now you need to send these records out to the world. So you're limited to 1,000 final customers. So you were sending probably 200 to the UK, 50 to Japan, 40 to Australia, 100 to the US, some to Germany, Italy, you know, all the European markets. And the only chance for people to hear this music was to go to the record store, spend the whole afternoon and find out which is the next big record. You know, most of the times the next big record was only accessible to normal DJ like months later because all these big future records were given first to like the bigger DJs. There were more, there was just like more under the table business. Okay, this is a new promo. Hey, you have the new Strictly. Hey, this is coming in two months. So, you know, we were sending out promos, wide labels, just like with a sticker, not the official release to tease a little bit the market and also to, to feed the, the, the store by the store guy that needs to order the records at the end when they are ready to go. So we were anticipating always like that white labels. And the problem was like you seriously just were able to hit the amount of people that bought a record, mm. that played that record in the in, in the club in the night. And then someone could go there and say, hey, what record are you playing? And you can say, yeah, I play this record, but still doesn't matter that you have someone that now has the same record. So the DJ, the DJ thing was more fun because Everyone was super individual. No, no one played the same set. No one played the same hits. Every DJ had the only was only able to play the records that you got. But from the business side of you, you spent four thousand dollars, and probably if the records are not sold in the store after six months, the store was sending back the allowance they were allowed to send back. So usually. The allowance was 20% return rights, 30. Of course, if someone bought 100 records and he didn't sell even one, you, you took 100 back because you wanted him to buy the next record too. You didn't want him to be not supporting your, your releases. So and at that stage, I finally 
kind of understood what the problem was because the fourth release on the label was um, was changed by Michael Proctor. So we ended up signing change by Michael Proctor. Uh, back then he was in Vegas. He's originally from Chicago. And he had a, I think, a daughter here in Switzerland. And he had a, a girlfriend here in Switzerland or wife that I was friend with. And so she helped me through the, my studio mate, get in touch to him. And he had this record laying around, you know? So I was okay. It was super expensive for me because back then the Swiss francs to the dollar was 1.8, double as much as it was today. So it's okay, let's sign this record, you know, make an agreement with an American guy. It's always like complete different than making an agreement with a German, with a Swiss guy, with Italian. It's more easy. With an American, it's always complicated agreements just for a record, you know. So we made the record, we sent the money over, we made, I made the EDX remix back in the days of this record. And that record was licensed all over Europe to all the labels. And I was like, why this record is licensed all over Europe? You know, I think he had one big record before. I think it was Deliver Me or I don't remember the title. It's Sulfuric with uh, Jazz and Groove. Yeah, that was like a big record he did. And uh, of course, I was expecting, okay, it's Michael Proctor. You know, I was looking up to him uh, like he's like, I, I was a fan, you know. And that record went well, you know, like got licensed to Italy, got licensed to this label in Germany, got licensed to this. So I was like, at the end coming up, why are our records that we release in between not doing as as good, not like nearly, not nearly as good. So I just figured out it's the English, it's the songwriting. We didn't have any culture of understanding because, you know, even today, even today, I'm not listening to a song lyric. If if I don't, if I don't really like pay attention, you know, it was more about listening to a record in the radio and the nice sounding voice, colorful voice with a nice melody. So it was never about, so I started to compare that stuff. And then it took me like almost 10 years eh? because now we are in 98 and I figured it out in 2008, 2009 when EDM became big in the U S and I was playing Vegas, all the cities in the U S and there was all these songs <coughs> with all these cheesy, you know, One Republic, catchy vocals. And my English became much better. And I started to understand people want to sing along. So they are listening completely different to a song, you know. And it took me really 10 years to understand this. You know, why our records were not doing good or why the labels uh, didn't want to pick up our records, you know. So in 2008... I mean, I already jumped 10 years of my life in 2008. In between that time, I've been also a music manager of like uh, DJ Mac, top 100 artists and multiple uh, platinum um, selling uh, uh, and gold record selling artists, uh, which I'm still doing today, a kind of management and mentoring to new talents because I was able to build up the connection to everyone. So I kept doing it and I felt like I always had like a really good vibe in like being also kind of a little bit more on the business side so then i came back with my sound after like i I literally had a kind of a hiatus on my own music because i was like what the fuck is going on you know i've been doing records you know 
in 98, because I worked with uh, Intergroove, I remixed like big records. Back in the days, Too Funk, I remixed Cool and the Gang, I remixed Lauren Hill, even Armand van Helden. You know, that I even remember these matching moments. Armand van Helden was DJing at, at uh, how is it called? At like, uh, at Cameo in Miami. This was like, I would say 99, 98, still. Uh, at like the fa- fa- la Eric's uh, subliminal sessions. And I remember, like, uh, he's still, like, Armand van Helden playing at the subliminal sessions. And I went there and I gave him the record. Hey, look, I remixed your record. Here's the and he was, okay, cool, bro. <laughs> I actually just recently saw him on the flight uh, from Miami conference to Zurich. He was uh, coming over for, for Europe, for Ibiza. <laughs> it was so funny after 25 years almost. Anyways, so these records all did good because the music was good. Just the lyrics were not like... On point. So I, I took like kind of a hiatus while I was still working, like focusing a little bit on um, on the label side, also for all the talents and uh, artwork side. But when digital, uh, the digital revolution arrived, I was really quick. I was like, hey, we need to get our music to, to, to iTunes back then. Like, let's be quick you know while the big companies like are still fighting over uh, we just bought this catalog we bought strictly rhythm we bought this and then all of a sudden uh, the uh, warner music was bought by an investment company then time warner came in you know then then cnn came in look it was a huge chaos happening so the big labels were really slow on the digital revolution like the majors so i was like sneaking into that hole and i was like doing everything digital very early from 2002 already and that was very focusing i was like trying to get all the labels that didn't have like a digital distribution deal hey you need to come digital come with us we're gonna help you still like helping a lot of labels uh 20 years later and um, so it took a little bit to focus away from me achieving like uh, kind of the dream of of like a main stage show at at a festival you know uh, while I was like being very successful, like on the label side and also like on the management side with artists, um, at one point I like felt, hey, that digital thing is really cool. You know, I I just woke up and we sold so many downloads in Australia already. And when I went to bed, we kept selling music in the in LA and in New York. You know, so I was like, wow, I kind of like this digital thing. And this was like the moment when I was like, you know what? it's time to stop doing design and artwork because I'm only making money if I work, you know? <laughs> if I'm not working, if I'm sick, first, I let the client down because I cannot provide on time. Yeah. And second, I'm not making money. Who's going to pay for my house? Who's going to pay for my, for, my, for my dreams, you know? Mm-hmm. So I was like, let's go digital. I kind of like this idea of pushing like the label. And, and so we went, I went all in like uh, with, also with a, with the publishing uh, company, and I started to develop, develop, and use my my knowledge and my contacts for a lot of other talents because I just had the network. I, I went to Miami Music Week as a young kid in '97. I spent like in two days money, like eight hundred dollars for a stupid batch, you know. But it was cool, you know, to see. This was back at the Radisson 
more like up at the Deville Hotel at the Redison, mm-hmm. where the, it was like really the pool party thing, you know, where you had like uh, Tony Humphreys, uh, all, all like all the big guys back then. Like I think Paul Johnson had the big record back then with Get Get Down. You know, everyone was at the pool. They were having burgers. There was barbecue feeling. And I met so many people then and from labels. And these people still today are my friends, you know. I keep meeting them in Miami once a year. I meet them. I used to meet them for many years at Midem in France every January when this was my favorite conference, to be sincere. And uh, and later now, uh, I meet them in Ibiza, I meet them in Miami, I meet them in New York, I meet them at Amsterdam Dancing Man. Like, we just uh, met each other without planning to meet uh, each other uh, a few weeks back, you know. <laughs> and so I developed, like, a really good network uh, of people on the music side, but also had, like, because I was doing the design for all these uh, major companies, good, good connection to... Um, to to, to like the major setups mm-hmm. uh, where I was able then at one point when uh, I don't know if you remember, like in 2004, um, the major industry kind of said goodbye to dance music. Oh, I remember it clearly. And it was actually before that. It was right after 9-11 in New York. It started when the building. Exactly. It, it was because that was the time, 2002. Took the them two years to exit. And then LimeWire came out, and all that stuff was where people who were selling physical copies no longer could make money now because everything was all over the internet. Yeah, yeah. So the major started to step out. I just remember it just happened on the 1st of April. Uh, Warner Music bought um, Strictly Rhythm. 1st of April. Then 9 11 happened. Then the B3 record came out in October. This was like kind of the record after, there was two records, the Enya record that was played all over the news channels of owned by Time Warner, became all of a sudden an album of a pop artist, mm-hmm. became popular a year later because of the media support or because of that tragic uh, moment. And the record that, came out of 9-11 for me was Be Free on Strictly Rhythm. Yep. You remember this record? Be yeah, Free. Yeah, I remember. So this was the record that came out of that. But after that, the major said, dance music is not working anymore. We are actually in a depression or like the world is upside down right now after 9-11. So I took the opportunity and I took over all the content from Warner Music in Switzerland that they had done on their domestic market, like the domestic repertoire. And I started to d- keep developing these artists that were just left there, like, hey, we, we have still an agreement, but uh, New York has decided that uh, we need to cut down the domestic markets. We can just do like intercompany releases. So when the next Madonna album comes, we will work it in Switzerland, but we will not work anymore on domestic repertoire, you know? So I was really lucky. So I took over some of these talents in electronic and I kept releasing them on my own label back then. And uh, so I was very focusing in in the record side. But like like later on, you know, me going through all the Drave uh, steps in my career and 
like this UK garage, breakbeats. There was trance music and all the genre. Always like having the like uh, house music very close to my heart. Mm-hmm. In 2007, I felt like I, I just like stopped working with some of the big artists. The agreements expired. So I was like, you know what? Let's just bring back EDX. So in 97, and that's where we met again <laughs> with the, through our friend Aga. I was like, you know, let me combine the housey, make people feel good, feeling sound with a little bit the melodic, progressive sound. And that's when I started to, to release music again, you know, which I felt like that's kind of me, you know. And that's when I actually re-injected the EDX brand with a new try, hopefully with like great songs and vocals that could achieve more than that that the first try uh, achieved. And, and, you um, and you did. You actually did achieve it. I you- was lucky, you know. Everyone was like giving me, uh, you know, he, he, I was always lucky in my life. First of all, I was born in Switzerland. I, I consider this being very lucky, you know. Uh, it's giving you a lot of opportunities. And I've been given a lot of other opportunities during my journey. I had like people, some people mentoring me, you know, in the early days of the rave. You know, I could keep talking here about the rave time, just like from the, from 92 to 94. I could keep talking to you like for 10 hours. And sure, it's, you a lot that went on. it's a lot of detail that went on during that time. Yeah, yeah, it was a lot, you know, from... <laughs> Let's, let's keep let's moving ahead to let's, EDX let's, version two. Let's yeah, but let's talk about now. You're going from you know producing, and then all of a sudden the big break comes on that big world level that changes the game for you. Yeah, you know, uh, before you had the opportunity to change the game by being a really good skilled DJ. This was the DJ version one, you know? Like, I know DJs, like, even like Carl Cox for many years, they never released records. They just had, like, the old school disc jockey thing that a radio show. They played great music in the radio and they became popular because people kept hearing them in the radio, you know? When there was just one way to listen to dance music, this was BBC Radio One. This was Kiss FM. This was a couple of radios that you were able to reach only with like the satellite receiver antenna from London. There was no radio station in Europe that were like pushing uh, dance music, except Italy, for which was always a very unique market, you know, Italy. Uh, It was a lot of entertainment too with the jokes and the bullshit. You know, things that in the US, if you would do this in the US, they would arrest you right away and they would, <laughs> yes. they would cancel you right away, you know. <laughs> but they're still doing it in Italy and it's so much fun. You know, I love it. <laughs> I force my people in the office to listen to Italian radio just to give them like a positive vibe. Right. To, to kind of, hey, listen to what they're doing. This is what it is about. Fun. So I force them. I tell them, you need to listen to this radio show. <laughs> you need to listen to this radio show. Any, uh, anyway, so this was DJ Fa 1, so it didn't really matter if um, 
you had like your own music. You were just a DJ playing music from other people, you know? You were not an artist, you were just a DJ. And then there, like that revolution of the artist started, I think, pretty early with that rave movement when where like all of a sudden the German Mar the Germans became really strong with that like techno trance sound. The Dutch and the Belgium became really strong. They all overtook the Italians. The Italians they were leaders at one point. Yes, it's true. And they all came in and it became a mix. And at the moment that like MTV started and MTV started to play music clips and started to build faces to music, like artists to music, mm -hmm. the DJ started to become an artist. So he was not just a DJ, he became an artist because there was a face, there was a fashion, there was a way of speaking. And there was music connected to it. Right. And this is where, that's a DJ version too, in my point of view. You know, the one that became an artist, has his own music. And I feel I'm a little bit in between there, you know, because I never became or felt like I wanted to be a DJ version three, which is the DJ that adds uh, the whole social media part to it. Right. Like, you know, making fashion, making this, jumping, doing that, taking the microphone, microphone, hey, blah, 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 blah. just like not who I am, you know. But there is like that world of the DJ version two and version three. And I think you are a DJ version two, like I am a DJ version two, in my point of view, you know. But the new DJ generation today is DJ version three, you know. It's not necessarily the music, it's more the marketing and the whole package, you know? Eventually, the music is great, like, or like even the new genres, they kind of invent or reinvent. Mm -hmm. Because I think it's always a reinvent. Now in our genre, there's like never something new, just like right. 10 years later again in a different way, which I'm actually uh, doing the same thing as EDX. You know, I'm just reinventing EDX with like a fresher sound, with a up-to-date sound, with a sound like to market. Yeah. Um, but like, that was like the moment, like when I felt uh, I, I was able to achieve in 2008, you know, I started to travel, not just, I didn't start to travel because I was skilled being a DJ. I started to travel because people were able already in 2008 to hear my music online. There was more digital radios. There was more online radios. The podcast started. So the access, if you go back now to my story, that is very important, mm -hmm. that you were only able to reach 1,000 people with 1,000 records and you had to spend $4,000. To now, you work on a record in the studio. You make a demo. You can upload it to your social media. You get straight feedback. Mm -hmm. Or... You can even upload it to SoundCloud, and through SoundCloud, you can send it to Spotify, sure. to iTunes, within 24 hours from the moment you do it in the studio to the, to the moment it's out there to a worldwide audience, you know? If, before, we were only able to reach that 1,000 people in the countries where the 12-inch was sent. 
think about it. Like with the hopes that you could sell all thousand pieces. Yeah. So now think yeah, you the hopes you can sell one thousand pieces. Think about it. You were never able to reach India. You were never able to reach South America. You were no. never never able because that fifteen dollars would have been sixty dollars for the people over there. You know, in value. So all the markets were the all the countries which were like let's call it like less fortunate when it comes to economy. They were not able to be reached. Except you had someone that was super rich and was okay. I want to be the oh. and there was like in every market there was always at one two DJs that made it big because they were able to spend the money, but not necessarily because they were skilled. But they were able and they had the access to the music. But now with the digital world, it's just like everything. Pa 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 pa. The interaction is quick. You can release same moment. Australia can listen to it. The same moment you have a feedback from Australia. Think about it. You were like mixing down records in your studio back in the 90s. Then you were like, okay, now I need to wait for the weekend to play the club so I can listen if it sounds well. So you had to spend like one on the box. You had to make a dub plate. You had to go to the club. Oh, so the bass. Oh, then you had to go back to the studio. <laughs> and this still was something less expensive during the CD time. So you put it on a CD. Or you know, USB stick. Now it's everything quick. Pack, pack, pack. You have the feedback right away. You can send it to your manager. You can send it to your PR. You can send it oh, to your right. friends. You all over the world in seconds. You have opinion. You have an opinion in five minutes from people that uh, you value. Maybe you know. Before it was like you had to first put it on. You put your dot in there. That tape. You record it, and then what do you want to do with this dot? You need to send your dot or yeah. like a tape to the world. You know, there was no chance to share music with the world like that's right you can share today and again you know um while now the competition is becoming so much bigger with uh almost 50,000 dance genre record sent to spotify just to name now spotify every single day and still get hurt it's not a big difference. The challenge is still the same, you know, because it's more records not out there. You wonder if they're really listening to everything. That's a lot of stuff to be listening to every day, you know? The stores? No, they don't listen to this. There's no way. That's why the whole marketing part is becoming now the bigger part in a DJ journey, you know? Exactly. And, and we are getting older, huh? But when I say older, I say always more experienced. And smarter. <laughs> don't don't say this. I, I I keep saying this to a lot of people, and they keep like always uh, want to punch. I'm leaving me. now, everyone. I'm out the door quietly. I'm leaving. That's how smart I am. I'm leaving now, all of you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's crazy. Yeah, so in 2008, it, was, it really it really went well with my own music back then, and I kept always like kind of following this journey. Uh stayed always as true as possible to myself. I, I Well, when, when EDM became big for a short moment, I tried to also kind of fit in there. But almost 10 years back from now, I already felt, hey, I, it, it doesn't feel, uh, it was the music that didn't feel like the way I wanted. It was 
it became just like very kind of heart heartless. It was not soulful anymore. Yep. So I I quickly switched over again to uh, to my to my journey, you know. Mm-hmm. And yeah, I'm here now ten years later, and uh, we are still running, you know. And I could keep telling you more and more stories. Well, Keep well, you telling me stories about records, about collaborations, about know, life in general. <laughs> what we want to know is, like, for example, the record that defines EDX to become from, say, the underground to the commercial EDX guy. You know, like when we, you start thinking about how EDM was so wonderful, where's the record that changes? Is is always one record that's the life changer. It's two records because remember, EX records now. Is, is there more than uh, two, three years? It's for it's now almost thirty years. It's actually thirty years that I'm performing under the three letters EDX. Huh? It's now thirty years. What does EDX stand for? Yeah, you know, I, I'm in this music uh, nightlife world for so many years now. If you would have asked me like thirty years ago, I would still remember. But now I'm just getting too old. I I don't remember anymore. <laughs> just like okay. <laughs> So give us the two records that define EDX. I I would say like in the US, like Game Changer was my remix for uh, like my career paving remix for Cascade, Angel on My Shoulder, which I think was like the first dance record played in the radio in various uh, markets in the US, like in Miami, New York, you know, back then it was all about hip hop. Like in 2008. Oh, totally. Was, this is 2008. And Angel on My Shoulder, I think my mix really made a difference. Just like gave that like kind of EDM upcoming generation. No, it's Show Me Love. No, that's not Angel on My yeah. Shoulder. No. That's Show Me Love. That's the second record. This the was 2000. Record. This was 2015. Huh? This was a very emotional uh, record too. So Angel Machado was the first one in the U.S. And I think this was the absolute door opener for the U.S. market for me and for like other markets like Brazil and like where the record did really well. It didn't, it was not a big record in Europe, but it was a door opener definitely in the U.S. And uh, the second record was uh, my remix of uh, Show Me Love. This one here. Yeah. It was... Uh, uh, How amazing. big to them it, how big was this for spinning uh, i think the, uh, only on soundcloud we we and before they decided to take it down we were like at 150 million streams only on soundcloud oh. i think on spotify with all the versions adding uh, apple music and youtube we must be now at half a billion So and that equates. It's a really cool story because you know, just two three days, I think two three weeks before I was in the studio with my mate Chris working on this record, I was in Denver and played the show, and Stan Stonebridge came by. You know, it was like, hey, Stan, long time no speaking. I was like in perfect shape, 2016. You know, touring the world. You know, <laughs> and. I have still this picture. I don't know. I haven't. I didn't send you the direct. Towards the world, everybody, look at that. That's, <laughs> look, look, look. that's, that's Germany. So no, same. Look, look, look how that's beautiful. That's Los Angeles. I'm back in Los Angeles. You see, I'm saying look, look, when he says touring the world, 
That's that's you know. Let, let me just clear, clarify what he means. Touring the world. Look at that. Nice, right? Oh, that's a pizza. Wow. Yep. So go ahead. So you, so you so spent, you I met Stan, I met I met Stan, and I was telling him, Stan, I got the part. Uh, they want me to remix that record, but I don't know if I can because your remix of "Show Me Love," Stan Stonebridge, was. A, a life changer for me as a DJ, you know, and it's still a life changer today for a lot of DJs when they play it on the dance floor, like or at least a dance floor that changer. And I was like, it have so much emotion connected and story and history, and I can tell you about this record. Like I started before uh, with that's when I started to beat match uh, records. It was Show Me Love, uh, Robin S, the Stonebridge remix, you know, and he was always my my big remix idol. And I was like, hey, Stan, you know, I'm going to work on the remix, but the vocal is so different that I want to try it, you know? Mm -hmm. the, the Kimberly Ann, that song that record for Samfeld, she sang it in a completely different detonation and rhythm. So I was like, okay, it's kind of chill. Yeah, let's do it, you know? So I went to the studio, uh, and, and my engineer, I work since now almost 15 years, uh, was like, okay, Leo, you really want to do this? Is this uh, everyone has tried to do Show Me Love and it never worked. Mm -hmm. And I was like, you know, it's such an emotional record to me. Let's just try it, you know? So like after two, three hours, we went out of the studio and I had like goosebumps and I was like, shit, I think I just, I just love it, you know? You know, he was not like really into it because he is like working on a lot of music every day himself too on his own projects. And He's like, okay, like, you know how it is when you get out of the studio, every time you have a hit in your hand, that's what you think, at least. <laughs> so you try, I was trying to make one. You try to make yeah. one. Yeah, no, you know, we always get out of the studio. and We have the next hit. Let's send it to the label. <laughs> or let's send it over to my DJ friends. You know, this is going to kill it. You know, this is on the dance floor. This is going to be an ex essential tune on P-Tong show, you know, like... You know, that like tunes, how many times we had that feeling, you know. Sure. But I had like, I had like really... Goosebumps there, and I was like, you know, I think it's a big record. Let's just try it. And this was in 2015. I, 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 I remember this. My father just had passed like a couple of months before, and I was in this like kind of space which was very weird and special to me. So I went into Miami, uh, still like kind of hurt, and my emotions were different. Like, how you know with people so and i played the pool i think i played the axe stone and just a pool party there at i think it was at the uh, uh at one of the hotels you know at, at the beach so i played the record uh, into winter music conference and mm -hmm. when the when you know when the chords came in and the vocal came in i right away felt wow with the you know especially when you're on a summer spot at the pool hot girls, happy people, everyone's smiling, and you have the sunshine and nice hot weather. Everything, everything sounds just oh, better. Everything sounds beautiful. <laughs> everything sounds beautiful, you know? And But still, I had like, wow, this record is so good. And Because everyone knew the lyrics from the Robin S. version, but because of the different rhythmic and detonation in the voice, 
They didn't right away catch it was Show Me Love Records. But then, of course, when you have the chorus, they write and know what you got to Show Me Love. Exactly. So this record became like just an instant. Is that Show Me Love? Is that, I could see people saying it. Oh, wait, who's singing that? Because it's not the Robin S thing that everybody knows. Yeah, but they had like something like, okay, I know the record. So this was definitely also a, a life uh, extender. Let's call it a life extender that gave you, gave, gave to me like a lot of energy to keep going, you know, after so many years. Also, especially during that kind of very special emotional site moment in my life. This was like, I kept them, I kept going with a couple of records, like in that lane, and they all went like Beatport number one, Spotify, 10, 10 million streams, 20 million, 30 million streams. So that was just like the magic moment, like the happy hour of EDX, like between 2015 and 2017, you know? Wow. That you don't like really, uh, that I was just like, bop, 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 like everything was just happening the right way. It was great times, you know, in 2017, I remember in the summer, no, in 16, the year after, we did like the Ibiza residency with no excuses and privilege. It was really cool. We had like the billboards over the island. We had all the promotional girls, promotional teams. We were playing like uh, not just privilege. We were also playing other other clubs, you know. It was just like... Uh, yeah, people get his name up on billboards. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's that's long. That's like older. That's like my space oh, residency. Saying. That's my space residency. Next, you see Carl Cox on the left. That's my space residency. I think in 2012. Right, but I'm just showing an example that that's how they advertised you on the on the aisle. <laughs> yeah, that's ten years ago. Eh, ten wow. years ago. I have a lot of billboards. Like so, 2016, we went into Ibiza. There was that energy, the vibe in in, in the the US crowd was already five, six years into into like that's Ushuaia. Like was five, six years already into uh electronic music, like at that stage, like the more crossover stage, you know. Mm -hmm. So everyone was so positive. You had your friends, and the thing I ended up playing just that July 26 shows. In 2016. And it was not that bad, 26 shows. It just felt mentally bad before starting the shows. But once you started you the show... When you get torn, you just... It's just get good. It's great times, family, friends. You get to end up, like, meeting so many friends, you know, like... that at times, you know, like, I... Because I sleep a lot before my shows because I feel I need it for the energy. Like, not for my energy not my energy level my energy you know like my smile my vibe i just like to sleep before my shows because then i get in there i i hit the deck and just like me happy you know doing what i love to do so 2016 that was like a, a big big life extender that was really good show me love i still have to play it sometimes now eh? and it's, okay. not, it's not it's hard, you know, but I, I am, I, I, I'm converting a little bit into the DJ version three world, you know, or like I understand, I understand that that's what rock bands do too, right? That's what people expect. But you we've know, all I had was. To do it. We've all had to do classic nights of Lenny, Lenny Fontana classic sound that I don't want to play, but we have to do that when it's that night, you know, you know that yeah. as a DJ, they want to hear the classic EDX sound, not yeah, the new EDX version three, they only have version one and two, right? 
Yeah, I, 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 it's, it's, it's very hard because you want to always be like a trendsetter. You, you want to be this. Be... You want to be playing the hottest new record, right, and have the whole place going crazy yeah. with the hands up making the next anthem. And sometimes you go to places, you go. You know, this picture is from 2015 or 16. Just, eh? My point is, like, you're, you're playing the newest, hottest record that you made, and the response is incredible, right? Yeah, you know, you want that every time, but these people are like, No, I want to hear those old records, like, uh, right? Okay, you know, this, play us this one. Come on, they put the sign up, no, right? They go, like, the, the sound is now back. I put the <laughs> sign up in your face. You're that's like, Guatemala. No, 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 <laughs> that's that's Guatemala. I can't wait to go back next year. I play uh, in April next year, Valley, right? Guatemala. No, anyways, the good thing now is that. My sound from 2007, 2008 is now back 10 years later, just in a newer, fresher, a little bit slower sound. So now I can play my 2008 records back in my sets today and they fit perfectly because they were already produced back in the days in a high quality level that can still deal with the 2022 quality level, you know? of the records putting uh, people put out, you know? So it goes really well. So it's a really great moment for the music right now for me. Agreed. I have to agree with that. Yeah, it's a really fun, fun the same thing from some people discovering old records of mine from 25, 30 years ago, and they think they're brand new. It's crazy. It's so crazy. But hey. So, so France is still winning 1-0, eh? It's 20 minutes, 25 oh, minutes. Oh, wait, wait. What, what do you think? Uh, will France win? You want me to tell you the the, the betting quotes for a, for a, for a, for a one to one? What do you think? No, we want to know. We want to know the feeling when you got the nomination for the Grammy. Oh, this was fun. Yeah, this was like you know was one of the targets I had, like a kind of a dream. When I entered the U.S. market, I, I like. After Show Me Love, I was like, okay, let's focus now for like a couple of years and try to make it bigger in the US. So we tried like really hard with like the right decisions, with the right records, we remixed the right records, and um, and we ended up remixing the right artist, the right song at the right moment, and we did it the right way, and we made it uh, into a nomination, which was like, Really special achievement. Like you see, Christian uh, that is there with me. I work with him on, on on in the studio on 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 projects since 2007, and we know each other. Like we work together since tw 20 years now, since 2002. So long time. That's a long yeah, time. I'm gonna have like a Christmas uh, dinner on Sunday with him in Nashville. He lives now in Nashville. Are you coming so, over to the United States? Good. Yeah, for the weekend, just for the weekend. I'm flying on Friday. So it was good, you know, it was good for him. It was good for me. It was just like, uh, it was a great experience. You know, I had my wife with me there. She was pregnant of our son, Dan, at the Grammys. And uh, I had like some of my team with me. Like I had some families with me. It was just like the, the, the right thing, you know, and uh, it just happened in the right moment too. Congratulations. It's a wonderful feeling to get something to even if you didn't win or not, just to be nominated is enough. No, it, it was actually it was great. And I think there was like even two other Swiss artists that no one really speaks about that were Jamie nominated. Was it? 
I think Jamie Lewis was the yeah, same year. There too. He was there at the same time you were there, I think. Yeah, yeah. Then, and then there was like the other guy, like it's called Oz, which is doing like hip hop beats. He was like with Travis Scott. He was also nominated in two, three, two, three things, you know. <laughs> it was great, you know, three people from Switzerland, you know. Wonderful. Switzerland's come a long way, you know, in the whole electronic game. I mean, look how far it's taken you guys. You've, you guys are what I call the trendsetters. <laughs> it's just super interesting, you know, like you need really to think about it. Where, where did you grow up, like yourself, in which part of the city? New York. I was in, I, I hung out in Manhattan, but I lived in Queens. So um, you lived in Queens, like in a neighborhood, like I lived here in a neighborhood, like in the, near the city of Zurich, in Zurich. And like, at the end of the day, you need really to think about it. You produce music in your like bedroom. And with your music, you're able to touch people all over the world, you know, and the whole digital revolution, the renaissance of music distribution or how to listen to music has like opened up so many people, souls, hearts to our music. Like I have people from like, like you have too. And I guess most of the people that are in electronic music, which I consider like kind of a universal language, dance music. Uh, we have fans in India, in Pakistan, in Australia, in Japan, Korea, like all over the world in the smallest villages that we don't even know how to pronounce, how to write. And these people sometimes know the song lyrics better than you know them yourself because it's true. You, you write them together with a songwriter or with a singer. And but these songs or this music they really mean a lot to people out there. And if you think about it, you produce music in Queens, you send it out to the world. I produce music here in my neighborhood and you reach so many hearts all over the world. And I think this is the magic thing that um, helps our journey, you know, that keeps us going. You know, when you hear like, hey, you know something? When my husband proposed to me, we were listening to this song or, hey, when I was stage XYZ cancer, this was a song that really helped me out of it. Of course, it was not the song. It was the treatment. But, you know, the belief in making it was part of the song, too, you know. So you have all these stories. You know, this track uh, got me through high school. This track did this, you know. So, like, it's a very special and uh, journey for like music people and uh, sometimes i feel we are very gifted you know that we are able to to deal with this struggle mm -hmm. of like uh, get hurt in between all these um other songs that are released every single day like uh if, if, if you think back like back in the days there was just like a few stores playing music now you go to Starbucks, right? They play music. You go to this store, they play music. You go to, to even to a train station, they play music. Yeah. Before music was not everywhere. Before music was a luxury thing, you know. You're and, right. And and I feel like because music has been kind of a luxury, got in a lot good in a lot of markets, especially in like think about 
Russia, South America, India, where people cannot afford to buy the newest phone. They cannot afford, they don't even have a credit card to make an account to stream music. So when they listen to music, for them, it's not just like something normal. It's something special. And if your music makes that special moment, it means like a lot to these people. And a lot of people, they don't really understand. I think a lot of people also that work in music or release music, they don't understand what music can move or reach. And that's like something yep. that we, every music person, if you understand this, then you understand that you're super gifted, that you, that you are able to share your music with the world. Well said, EDX. Well said. <laughs> well said. Well, everyone, you know, my last final question would be just, I'm going to leave this with you just to answer it. You know, we understand how sacred music is for you. Where are you going the next 25 years in front of you? Where do you think this is going for you? <laughs> well, you know, I have an amazing family that keep me busy and keep me, uh, keep me going. Um, I, I, I hopefully will like just keep going when, when it comes to my music journey. Indeed, uh, I, I really love my kind of management part. Uh, where I help uh, develop careers for talents, and um, I hope also that we kind of, kind of, will redevelop a little bit our Helvetic Nerds combo with our uh, like in-house uh, artists and and, and families and release more music over the days. You know, it's very hard. You know, there's still so many places I've not been yet. Mm. which uh, I, I, I will be able and I will be so blessed to visit thanks to my musical journey. And, uh, you know, uh, still a lot of things to do out there. You know, there's a lot of talents on the street that you can help find their way or, like, you can help not make the same mistakes that maybe you made and had learned from. <laughs> You know, it's like uh, we. Uh, I will keep going, and uh, as long as I feel like the connection between me, my music, and the people out there, I don't see a reason to um, to do other things. But you know, that day will not be a bad day; it will be a sad day, but it will be a day just for new stuff. You know, I, I'm sure. Like uh, when you close a book, there will be a new book, a new site from another book opening for that you can put, again, passion, time, and love in it. But I still feel that um, that my musical journey is far, 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 far away, the end of the musical journey. I think there will be always music in my life. Good. Well, EDX, don't stop, Maurizio. Don't stop. And, you know, again, we wish you all the best success. How do you Americans say thank you in Italian? Grazie. Ah, the first one that says it right. You know, usually so, the Americans they say they say grazie, grazie. No, gra no. We pronounce the e. No, <laughs> no it's grazie. Stop it! It's no, almost so much. No, 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 grazie, grazie mille. Hey, Lenny, we, it's almost two hours. So I'm getting very sentimental because it's time to go to bed. You know, <laughs> getting, he's going to pour a drink and he's going to tell us more. We're going to uh, say this to you: congratulations on this journey. 
Thank you very we much. We know you have more to, to say in your work. Keep mentoring everyone. Keep doing what you're doing. There's a lot of lot more in store for you. I know. I know you're not ready to give it up yet. I, it's yeah. apparent. You're like very, you're, you're excited. You're ready to do more. Say more. Well, I just know one thing. The end is always the start of something new. It's a good way of looking at it. And that's a very important thing. You need to understand it's maybe coming to an end or maybe it's a rainy day, but always after a few days of rain, there will be the sun. And you need just to wait, be patient. And with this mentality, you know, it's always, we always go forward, you know, never go no, back. We learned a lot. We learned a lot. You know, came come a long way from there, bro. Oh, look at this. This is my, my boy Andrea. When we just come a long way. I'm saying you come a long way from those days <laughs> and from you know sitting there thinking about what you're gonna be your next move to where you are now, management, mentoring, running record labels, running the EDX brand, and a father, which is a very important job too, being a father and a parent. Trust me, being a father, but I know you know this, is an easy going thing. Being a husband, that's... No, they didn't say that part. Harder part. I, just said, I said, being a father is a very important job. I didn't say that. I agree. <laughs> I didn't say about the, being the husband. I didn't listen to the end. That's a mistake, I know. I said it's an important job. I didn't say well, being a yeah, husband is a whole different job. <laughs> Learn from this, everyone. EDX, thank you so much, brother man. Thank you. We love you. You did Lenny, you did I, great I, work. I, I see you very soon. Thank you very much for having me. Bon Natale, and, bon Natale. And, 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 and thank yeah. you also to everyone that just uh, spent some bon time bon with us here. Uh, look yes, at this. He's got to get back to the game. He's dying right now. No, it's over. It's 2-0 two, it's for France. <laughs> we'll it's leave you. For five more minutes, I just like looked a little bit sad because I saw like... I know you're looking. It's okay. No, no because there was like two kids like Morocco, from Morocco. They were crying in the TV oh. because their team is losing. You know, I was like, oh, shit. You don't want kids. Uh, you don't want to see kids crying, you know. When oh. you have your own kids, you don't want to see kids crying, you know. I know. Okay, Lenny, cool. Thank you one more time. Thank you. Ciao, Maurizio. Ciao. Thank you, Kathy. <laughs> Thank you, EDX, for rocking it for us and giving us your full story. And once again, everyone, for the shameless plug, I'm so proud to say 100th episode with one of the disco giants, Kathy Sledge, will be here 28th of December. To share her story, December 28th. Have a great Christmas, everyone.